a Podcast One production. Alex Lee, thank you for submitting to this involuntary interrogation. I submit. Please don't hurt me. Trust no one. The level of sedition, anti-authority behaviour and advertiser-unfriendly thought crime has reached record levels, especially amongst Australia's elites. Treason. Luckily, the men and men of The Chaser have been commissioned by Border Force to conduct interrogations and sort out the subversives from the Patriots. Betrayal. In conjunction with ASIO and the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Protocols, this is Extreme Vetting with The Chaser. The Chaser. Today we are interrogating one of Australia's most versatile performers, Charles. Ah, Richard Wilkin. No, Alex Lee. She's a comedian who's appeared in The Checkout, The Roast, Story Club and Saturday Night Rove. She starred in the sellout new play Single Asian Female and not only been a newsreader on ABC News 24 but a member of the Parliamentary Press Gallery. How can someone both be a satirical comedian and a proper news journal? What are you saying? Sandra Sully is very funny. She is. Let's get her. Do you know why you're here? Uh, no, I don't. We are looking for people. We're looking for recruits from the world of the media, journalism, comedy, to go deep undercover. To do what? Well, Border Force and the AFP helping keep Australia safe, making it better, mm. and um, making people aware of the good points about Peter Dutton. Oh, that's that's a... A hard task, so I'm glad you've 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 gone to the the best person to do this. <laughs> All right, let's start with your full name. <laughs> My full name is Alexandra Clearly. And where did you grow up? I grew up in I guess South Sydney, in around Peakhurst and then Brighton La Sands. Yeah. Did you know Albo growing up in South Sydney? No, no, Albo never dropped in. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was unfortunate. We could have had something really special. <laughs> that's, a, that's a positive from my perspective, absolutely. Uh, how old are you? 33. I was at the playground the other day and this little girl said, how many 20s are you? And I said, I'm 32. And then I realised I was actually 33, so that was depressing. <laughs> what was the worst thing you did as a kid? The worst thing I did as a kid was <sighs> I was my sister is adopted, actually adopted, so I, I said, I wish that she'd never been adopted, <gasps> which, you know, most, you know, most kids can just say, I wish you were adopted or telling her they're mm. adopted, but she actually was. And I was like, I wish she wasn't ever adopted. And that was, I got in heaps of trouble for that. Mm. Was that, that the was first like she'd heard of it? Or? No, she, she already knew. Right. Mm. But yeah, uh, that was, Did yeah. she ever forgive you? I don't know. Oh, really? I should ask. <laughs> Yeah, that was, I mean, we were, we were pretty brutal to each other, but I think, uh, like, you know, the, that was one mm. of those moments where, like, oh, I, I crossed a line, <laughs> being, like, eight years old, being, like, am I a bad person? Uh, yes, can I, can I just see you, Dom? Yeah, no, I think we second. should after that yeah. little moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a person who genuinely lacks empathy, Dom. This is fantastic. This is incredible. I mean, mm. I, having known Alex for a while, as you have, I, I thought she was, you know, very nice and kind. Nah. But clearly that's just an yeah. elaborate facade. This is wonderful. Oh, look, I think uh, she should be in the inner sanctum of Peter Dutton's office. She could. Yeah. Yeah, she could. Now, it's a very exciting future for her here, I think. All right, let's get back in. 
And do you, do you regularly say devastatingly cruel things to people? Is that something that you've gone on to do? <laughs> um, I, I guess, in a way, I guess that's what comedy is, isn't it? Just saying cruel things to, uh, about people you don't know. Well, I mean, there is a not sort of comedy face. that's sort of lighthearted and joyful mm, about the world, yeah. but obviously not your comedy. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I found working with The Chaser for a long time that incredible cruelness dressed up as comedy is, is just part of life. <laughs> yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's workplace bullying, really. <laughs> but you, you're not just a comedian, are you? Like, you, you, you've been... Um, you've been a proper journalist. A proper journalist. How, how did that happen? Well... I, that's what I studied, and then I did I did a lot of comedy at uni, and then um, I just happened to get a, a job like uh, at ABC News, making cups of tea for Juanita Phillips and picking up her dry cleaning and all the rest of that as as a runner. Is there a secret to picking up Juanita Phillips' dry cleaning? Um, no, that's pretty so it's pretty standard, but there is a secret to how she likes her cup of tea. Oh yeah, you have to heat up the cup first. Oh. Yeah. That's very fussy I mean, this for was, an ABC person. This was back in the pre-ABC News 24 days when I started, when there was just all the resources in the world. So I'm, I'm sure Juanita probably has to make her own tea now. Mm. It's not, you know, it's not the golden days of the ABC that it once was. But yeah, have to, have to heat up her, her cup first. She likes it nice and hot. Can you pass for an ABC employee? You've been a few times over the years. Well, I've certainly been on a lot of cancelled shows on the ABC. I'm not sure if they'd let me back in now. I think I'm a bad luck charm. But, but weren't you a serious news presenter at, at News 24? I was, yes, mm. yeah. So I, I, I started as a runner and then I moved on um, to being a news producer at News 24 and then they let me uh, read the news uh, overnight uh, when no one was watching. And you had to do everything yourself. There was no one else in the... You were literally in the office by yourself, twiddling your own auto cue <laughs> button and, um, yeah, just going solo, which is a very funny thing. I've often wondered about newsreaders. Is it just incredibly boring? Because you don't even write the the things that you say, do you? Yeah. I mean, I, I, never, I guess I never really did a long bulletin, but I certainly was in the control room for a lot of them. And, yeah, I... I guess the thing that keeps you on the toes is producers not doing their jobs properly. Because, like, I don't know if you watch the news and you see, like, Joe O'Brien's, like, nose crinkle up as he says the words that are coming out of his mouth. And he's like, what am I saying? You know, they, <laughs> yeah. you know, they kind of take a distance back. Um, so I think, I, think that, I think that is probably what keeps it interesting. This but, yeah, is... otherwise, you know, reading autocue is not very hard. But mm. there's a lot of potential here, I'm thinking. Um, if you know how the ABC auto cue system works, mm, I do. I know. I know everything from from the bottom. I know where to put the dry cleaning, and I know. Uh, yeah, the cups of tea. Yeah, because we. I mean, look, Minister Dutton's efforts previously with the AFP going through the front door, sending police in. <laughs> yes, that didn't go down very well. No. We're trying a subtler approach, and what I'm thinking is, if you were able to mm-hmm. access the auto cues of the news as it was read yes. and put border force friendly messages up yes. there. They'd have to read them, wouldn't they? They would they have, have no alternative. Yeah, they don't They don't know how to form their own thoughts. They mm. just read whatever's on there. That would be, you know, I, I think that's something that we could really look into. This sounds very good. And look, also, they're very sensitive at the moment, anyone who looks like um, an AFP employee, but you having been a newsreader, you mm. could pull it off. Well, the thing is, though, like, now that I've gone on to do comedy, I'd have to somehow, I guess, renounce all my comedic intentions. 
Um, I don't know if there's some sort of ceremony or blood sacrifice in, involved doing well, that. Like when you sign the contract back to with being Border Force, again? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. That's yeah. what we found. You cease being funny. It's yeah, all, it's all over. <laughs> um, but then also, you've done a lot of acting, haven't you? You've, you've mm. done plays and all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I've, I guess I just like to uh, keep a lot of, uh, you know irons in the fire because I'm not, you know, I'm not top of the game at, at anything. So I think it's good just to be able to spread it around and do do a bit of bit of everything. Um, yeah, I, I, so I was in a play um, called Single Asian Female written by Michelle Law that um, premiered at La Boite Theatre a couple of years ago and then uh, that went really, really well and it, um, we did it at Belvoir and it's gone on to tour since then. Um, and, yeah, that's been wonderful. And, I, yeah, I really... And I've done a couple of little acting jobs on TV shows and things like that. And yeah, I mean, acting's like news reading. It's the same. It's actually everyone pretends there's a real process to it. It's easy. You just do pretend. You you know, you say the words that are on the script. You move your face in a happy happy way or a sad way and bingo, bango. So I'm having real trouble because you've also done, you've done about 100 million comedy shows as well and you've done theatre sports. Like you've done everything. What motivates you? What what's what gets you up in the morning? Like what what just attention? What, what do you want to be? I just want oh, any. Just want I want people looking at me and listening to me at, at all times and telling me I'm doing a good job. And you know, I can I can get that from any of those things. How did you move from being a serious journalism student to comedy though? Because you were doing it at uni. Because mm. you've sort of done a bit of everything. Yeah. So I was studying it, and then I guess the. People I made friends with at university, we started doing comedy together. We did all the the reviews and and theatre sports and things like that. And I guess I spent more time doing that at university than actually concentrating on my degree, which is a story for the ages. But yeah, I guess that I I, I found I had always done performance like at, at school doing plays and things like that. And I guess I just really found like I found my my people through comedy and the people that I started writing with then and working with then, I still get to work with them now. And Is that what um, you most enjoy? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I enjoy doing anything that's really collaborative and, and bouncing ideas off, off other people. I think that's, that's a re- really re- rewarding thing. And it also means that you're accountable and you don't just sit looking at a screen banging your head. Is that... The magic that binds dragon friends together. Yeah, yeah. So dragon friends is this thing that we started doing just just for fun, and it was um, a, a bunch of my old friends from uni. We didn't really get to see each other that much anymore, and um, one of them was a really big nerd. He was really into gaming and D and D, and I'd never done any of that. And he just said, "Oh, let's just try and play it in front of an audience. It'll be funny because you guys don't know how to play." And I said, "No one is going to watch that." Like the nerds are going to be so mad at us doing something terribly and, and normal people aren't going to go and see it. And then, yeah, we've been doing it for five years now and we've um, gotten to travel to uh, the US and do tours in Australia and it's just, it's so much fun and, and it is just a bunch of friends at, at its core, even though there's all these fantasy elements and dice rolling, it's just some friends sitting around um yeah, trying to make each other laugh. Playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And do you do you know yet how to play Dungeons and Dragons? Considering how long I've been playing for, I'm still quite bad. And I think mm. there's a bit of willful ignorance involved. Like, have you guys ever played? I've, really? I've tried to play when I was young. Yeah. Like when I was, you know, growing up. 
but at the age when, when you're supposed to play it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was a nerd with a very short attention span, so I was never able to no. get into it. But you play a half-orc, and I must yeah. say, when we saw that, I mean, from a border force perspective, that's a very exciting possibility. How, oh, how do you why is that? become a half orc? Well, Dutton's a full orc. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it involves mix, a mixed breed between a, a full orc and, and a human. So, um, is that a tragic romantic backstory? To, it, it is to your actually. Parents? There is it, my character's backstory. I think uh, my mother was an orc and my father was uh, a policeman, and she caught him. <laughs> Such a stupid show. Cheating on her with a fairy, so she ate him. So I don't know if that's of any interest to Border Force. Mm. <laughs> oh, look, that, that ticks a lot of boxes for us. Yeah, okay, yeah. Great. Also, <laughs> disapproving of fairies is very, very common in our department. <laughs> One of the fascinating things about Dragon Friends, though, is just how it, it I mean, it's narrow casting, but it is globally successful, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there are fan sites. There's even a sort of whole... Um, website set up to track all the plot lines from the last five years, and yeah. and there's fans from all the, across the globe, all that just have whole theories about you and your character. Yeah, I, it's so weird. It's so, it's super weird, but I think that's that's what the internet has enabled these really sort of intense fandoms, and it's so strange to us that you know that. And our online fans are kind of different, I guess, to our, you know, because we do the show as a live theatre show, Mm. um, but then we also release it as a podcast and and do streaming. And people want to be obsessive about something like this in a way that they aren't for television shows. It's really interesting because you were like that. Yeah, because it wasn't entirely a serious attempt to do D&D, right? Like, I mean, obviously getting people who hadn't done it before, but it seems to be treated with the same reverence as real D&D. And... I've seen, you know, clips of, of you guys performing to huge audiences overseas and stuff like that. That must be bizarre that they treat it with the same seriousness as though you were doing it, you'd spent many years doing it and you really care yeah. about it. Well, we actually, when we were contacted by the company that makes Dungeons and Dragons, we thought they were going to tell us to cease and desist. And then they ended up saying, hey, can you come and, and play on, on stage with us? And, um, you know, we have like a partnership with them now. So... I think people do appreciate it as comedy and being able to use use the game um, in a way that is fun and having fun with it because it is a sort of it's a thing you do when you get a bunch of mates over and you, and you have a drink and you play and you don't have to take it really seriously and I think people can see there's sort of a, a, a spectrum there and it's not about winning as well it's all just you know it's collaborative storytelling um, so I think I think that's the appeal and I think also that it's sort of mainstream now like um. You know, people know about it because of Stranger Things now and, you know, there's celebrities who play it and, um, you know, are making movies about it and things like that. So, yeah, it's just another part of nerd culture taking over the world. Seems to be the way. And I guess also you've done a lot of improvising, so that that probably fits in together. Is D&D a form of improvising? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It's, you know, it's improvising, but the great thing is you don't have to stand up and do anything. You know, you can just do it sitting down. Um, and there, there are elements which the, the dungeon master sort of, he has a story that he wants to tell, but you as the players are allowed to take it off in any direction. So in our first episode, we were being kicked out of an inn that we were staying in and, um, we were meant to go to the castle and instead we decided to take it to a rental tribunal and we made them do that. So <laughs> there's a lot of that sort of fun that you can have with it. But I, look, I think I need to, to be honest with you, cause I did just remember we did do a show, 
um, with Senator Scott Ludlam, or former Senator Scott Ludlam. Oh, right. So That's, I'm not sure if it, that did you you know, dis- him? disqualifies me in any way. Was he dismembered? He brought his own dice. Okay, that's that's good dirt. Can we talk about some of your television adventures? Because you've sure. you've been part of lots of stuff, um, and you work with Charles. What dirt have you got? Sorry, Charles, can you just jump? Yeah, sure. Just I'll, go and get me a cup of tea. I'll just go and get you a cup. Of tea. Do you want your mug preheated? <laughs> I want it red hot. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Just just be, duck out. Scalded fingerprints. Now, you worked on Charles' TV series, The Roast. That was my first uh, TV comedy show with Charles. I How don't remember. bad was he? I don't, you know, I don't, didn't have much contact with Charles. He was there a lot, but he was sort of doing mostly skulking-based activities. Skulking in the background. I think he was um, already being recruited by Border Force. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He seemed to be tapping away furiously on a computer that wasn't turned on, that sort of thing. Yeah. That does sound like Charles. I'm not very good at knowing whether it's on. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm oh, back. Oh. Uh, so you, I mean, yeah, because we worked together on that show, but we, we didn't really have much sort of... Yeah, no. You, I, you, you sort of took a I was, step back and let the let, yeah, let us I, just I run wild, the, didn't the, you? the young worker bees to to do what yeah. they wanted. Yeah. And it was that was such an amazing experience because it was so loose and so... You know, because we were we were making a daily turnaround show, and there was just a bunch of people in this in their early twenties. I yes. don't think there was anyone even above in their mid twenties, and we were just sitting around a table and being like, "Okay, this is what we're going to put on TV today." And then it would be finished by that afternoon. It, w- it was wild, but it really made me. I had that moment, which I had never had working in news, where I was like, "Oh, this is what I." Love, love. This is what I should be doing with my life. So working with Charles. Working with Charles. Yeah. <laughs> wow, Charles, I'm I'm genuinely impressed. <laughs> yeah, I think she meant the comedy. She is a good actor, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but can I just interrupt? Mm, sure. Every single show you've ever appeared in has been axed, hasn't it? Is that right? Or? <laughs> um. Yeah, more. Should we go? Should we go through it? <laughs> yeah, go on. The checkout. Yeah. Yeah, axed. Axed. The, uh, the Chaser's Election Desk. Uh, not, renewed. Oh, yeah. not renewed. Oh, <laughs> not renewed. Not renewed. Next roast, axed. Yeah. Media Circus. No, that ended. That just, that ended. just ended. That yeah. ended. Lost interest. Yeah, <laughs> lost interest. Story Club, that just ended. Yeah. Saturday Night Rove. Well, nothing com- goes forever. Complete. Mm. Well, how long did Saturday Night Rove go <laughs> The opposite of forever. <laughs> so having worked with Charles, mm. what was it like working with an industry legend like Rove? I mean, what was it like... Did you feel finally some professional? Yes. That's what they're doing. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, because I've also worked with the, the other Chaser members on the checkout and I was like, oh, it's so weird to work with someone who doesn't wake up at 2 p.m. and just occasionally uh, turn up to work fully dressed. Mm. Like, <laughs> I think that was why the show got, went wrong. Um, um, but what was that I, like? Just talk us through the experience because I mean, must, that must have been a very exciting phone call to get. It was, yeah. It was... Yeah, really unexpected, and and we did the the pilot last year, and then um, the show this year. So there was there was a big there was a year between the pilot and the I don't know if you can call it a season, the show the shows that we did. <laughs> Doing the pilot was I was really really fun, and it it really made me realise that there's you can make an entertainment show that's not uh, necessarily a comedy show, and that that there there were, that was something that people wanted. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's a real shame, it, you know, it didn't work out because I think if, 
it was given time and, you know, being able to showcase all the young comedians and, and up-and-comers that it did, it, it could have been something really great. But do you look at things like Dragon Friends and the sort of mass appeal and desire for that and then the sort of lacklustre desire that, you know, the gatekeepers on TV have for television? And do you sort of go, actually, perhaps TV isn't a space for creativeness anymore? Like, does yeah. it, have, have you ever thought about that? Oh, I, oh, constantly, yeah. I think working in, I guess, the entertainment industry, so much of it is about you, you make your, you know, you you do do the work and you and you become good and you, you get good comedy judgment and, and you learn how to perform and everything and, and you become really qualified, I guess, at your job and then so much of your life is just asking for opportunities to be able to do your job, you know. Yeah, and the gatekeepers often are, are not hugely inspiring people. Often they have not done well themselves well, or done it themselves. By, by yeah, definition, yeah. gatekeepers are producers who failed. Yeah. I know, so I mean, really, I should, I should be lining up for a sweet gatekeeping job pretty soon. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's true, I mean, especially in this country, in, in America, there's actually producers and gatekeepers who, because that's treated as its own profession. Yeah, yeah. In Australia, it's, the gatekeepers are all people who wanted to be creatives, weren't very good at it, and then got a job with the network instead. Or, or Border Force. <laughs> yeah. Or Border Force yeah. if they really failed. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I guess the really interesting thing about Dragon Friends is now we've started live streaming. So do you guys know about Twitch? So that's, um, it, it's just, we, we can set a, a couple of cameras in a studio and, and go out live um, and, you know, we'll just for an average night, we'll maybe get, I think around like 900 people watching, which is, you know, pretty good considering we're also on 3am US time and mm. stuff like that. And it's so, interesting because wasn't Twitch originally for people just playing video games and yeah, so people are now yeah. doing content on it yeah, as well. Yeah, people, um, people do all sorts of things. Like, uh, some people just kind of do sort of, I guess, live blogging, I guess, like mm. talking to people because there's a, on, on Twitch, there's a live chat stream. So you can actually have immediate interactions with your fans. It's really opened up the possibilities for us being like, well, okay, like if I had an idea for a TV show, why would I try and go through the process, you know, potentially of, uh, of getting development funding, getting producers, getting to a network, doing a pilot, blah, 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 when I could just turn on my camera to all my subscribers that I have and, and do it right now. Um, and so, is, so that, is that where you've gotten to with all these experiences of, of being on all these kind of network type shows, creating things with your friends as well? Is that what your instinct is in terms of how to go forward? Because it's a strange it's the, time, isn't it, to make I, TV yeah, comedy? I think it's just something that I want to develop my skills in because I think that it is probably where it's all heading. You know, um, that's how people are consuming we're always going to watch, you know, visual entertainment, but it's just, it's not necessarily going to be through terrestrial TV. And like, <laughs> I'm running through all the shows that I've done. I, I, I've had wonderful experiences on all of them and the fact that they have ended doesn't, mm, mm. you know, make them any less good. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that it's really interesting and I think it'll, it, it changes the way that we'll write comedy and, and write entertainment when you are dealing directly with people. It kind of becomes more like doing theatre, really. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, and you've done solo shows, um, including your solo show, I'm eating peanut butter in the shower because I'm sad and you're not the boss of me. That's right, did, yeah. Did you have to run that title 
past anyone else or? No, no, that no. was just a solo right. thing. I was like, what could be the longest possible thing I could put on a poster? And I thought that was very funny just to make, uh, you know, just to make everyone's life difficult in the fly yeah, <laughs> brochure uh, printing industry. How did the ticket sellers deal with it? I think it was just I'm eating peanut butt. Uh, on the ticket, unfortunately. <laughs> Probably got a big, big audience. Actually, that would work on Twitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would actually. I think the whole channel's dedicated to that. So what do you want to do? Yeah. I mean, in terms of, um, we'll look at your border force options too, but um, assuming that you can find a job other than with us, we'll, we'll come to that. What, um, what do you actually want to do? The border force troops at the mm. airport. I've kind of, I guess, because of my combination of journalism and comedy, done a lot of satire. Um, which I all I have such a funny relationship with because I I don't know I'm not convinced that satire does what people say it does. Can I have a word with you, Charles? Yeah. Oh my god! Does this basically deconstruct the whole premise of this podcast? <laughs> this is this is sedition. Oh dear! Yeah, sedition, not just against. Uh, the government or Australia. This is sedition against us. Have we committed to a yeah. high concept podcast premise that doesn't work? <laughs> what do you think? Well, I think we're going to we're going to have to apply some torture techniques to get her to retract that statement. <laughs> we may have to. Yeah. I think. Yeah. All right. So, Alex. I'm concerned about your problem with satire. Mm. We, we're going to need you to retract that. Really? Yeah, and here, just... Uh, what, wait, what are you doing with that permanent marker? <laughs> ah! <laughs> That's not how audio works, Charles. You can't black it out. Oh, what, about, what about this device? <laughs> uh, well, that is just a fork that you're jabbing into my ribs, so that will work. I, re- I, I retract it. Satire has uh, full ability to change the world, and if you just do satire, that's enough. Well, it's is actually that, a good that question. I mean, is so- that Okay. But I'm starting to wonder, satire's mostly been left-wing over the years well, and we live in a, in a world where all those ideas are incredibly unfashionable and, and failed. Well, look at our legacy. Like We started with The Chaser in 1999 and we now... You know, it was a sort of conservative government. It was a John and, Howard thing. Yeah. Really. Mm. yeah. And, and then, he, he didn't last long. And then, and then we now are at a point where we've got Trump... Scott Morrison and Boris Johnson running the world. We've clearly had this massive lurch to the left. <laughs> yes, that's, <laughs> thanks that's to us. Yes, <laughs> so I just preached it's to totally the Yeah, you've done it. Yeah, <laughs> congratulations. Achieve. <laughs> well, you guys can retire now. So well done. Well, could you help uh, Border Force put together? Wow. A direct streaming platform yes. uh, where we just broadcast live from Nauru to people who agree with Border Force. Would that yeah. work? Yeah, I mean, probably that would. That, you know, that'd be on Facebook. I'm sure you'll be able to find your audience. Dungeon Friends, I'm yeah. thinking, could be the name of the project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be very accurate. Um, I, I mean, I think this is the the way I guess the, tra- the left has traditionally used satire. It has been a left-wing thing. But, I, I mean, the way that right-wing trolls, they have their own sort of sensibility of comedy, which is really... Um, I mean, it's, it would be loose calling it comedy, but I, I guess the way that everything's really tongue-in-cheek and um, it's like, oh, it can, everything can be passed off. Just, oh, it's just a joke. It's just a joke where, you know, really it, it, it is quite harmful. So I, I, I guess maybe satire is, is for the left, but they, I'm sure the right, ha- they do have their own techniques for, you know, especially the 
you know, the very strong right-wing conservatives. For that can cause genuine harm. Recruiting people, yeah. That sounds brilliant. Mm, mm. You, you guys, Border Force has got to get on 4chan. <laughs> that's you my that's You don't my think we are? <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think started it? <laughs> Alex Lee, thank you very much for being extremely vetted. Thank you for vetting me. Extreme Vetting with the Chaser was written and presented by Dom Knight, Charles Firth and Andrew Hanson. Recorded in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Produced by Alex Mitchell and audio production by Darcy Thompson. For all episodes, search Extreme Vetting Podcast. Listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the new Podcast One Australia app.